Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, as Murphy goes, what's maybe the worst group for the Falcons and opening weekend thoughts in the world of college football? It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Hitting Hard is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. Get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app and give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Well, the Braves did exactly what they needed to do last night. They swept the Colorado Rockies 7-3 to last night. Um, again, the offense clicked all series long uh, in this. And now we get ready to go into L.A. to take on the Dodgers. You know, I was looking at some numbers, and these are kind of weird numbers uh, to look at, but I was looking at Sean Murphy's impact for the season. And he didn't play last night. Darno got the start uh, last night and was 0 for 3 with a run in an RBI. But he got the start last night. He played the catcher, and the Braves ended up winning. Now, a couple of numbers I was looking at. When you look at what Sean Murphy has done this year for the Atlanta Braves, <clears throat> in the games that he has played, 93 of them uh, to be exact, He's 58. They're 50, the Braves are 58 and 35 when he plays. That's a pretty real, that's a really good number, right? I mean, that's a 623 winning percentage. So you, you're coming close to almost two out of every three games that you play that you win, right? 58 and 35. But what's also crazy is the fact that the Braves are 29 and 10 when he doesn't play. Now, we've talked about Murphy and the idea of, Look, could he be a top five, six, seven, eight, you know, uh, MVP candidate? He has had a remarkable year. I mean, he's put up really good numbers, and getting him out of Oakland has been a real benefit to him. And obviously, he is one of the best defensive catchers in all of Major League Baseball. But it is strange when you look at the fact that the Braves have been so good. Now, obviously, it's a different sample size. I mean, it's not quite half, but more than a third of the time when he doesn't play, but the Braves are 29 and 10 when he doesn't play 58 and 35 when he does. Now, <clears throat> when the Braves do win or the games, at least that he does play, he certainly does have an influence as to whether or not they win or they lose. Look at these numbers, for instance, in the 35 losses that the Braves have when he has played, He's had five homers, 16 RBI, and he's hit 158 with a 263 on base percentage and a 308 slugging for an OPS of 571. Okay. In the 58 games that the Braves have won when he has played, 44 runs, 15 homers. 51 RBI, and here's the crazy part. He's at 342 in their victories, 446 on base percentage, 
654 slugging and an 1100 OPS. So uh, you can make a case that when Sean Murphy plays, as he goes, the Braves really go. Think about that. He's almost 200 points higher in their wins when he plays versus their losses. He's almost, well, he is almost 200, just about 200 points better in his on base in their wins than when they lose. His slugging is more than double, 654 to 308. And his OPS is almost double, 1100 versus 571. So if you want to know, if you want to just kind of 35,000 foot view, gauge as to whether or not the Braves are going to win, and this is kind of crazy to think about it in these terms, but in the macro, if you look, if Sean Murphy plays, yeah, there's a good chance they'll win, but there's a great chance that they won't win. Now, look, again, I'm not advocating not playing Murphy or anything like that, but it is just crazy the way that these numbers have worked themselves out. They're 29 and 10 when he doesn't play. I, I don't understand the reason why. I mean, again, Darno is having a nice year, but he's not having a great year and he's their backup, and, you know, again, he's got nine homers, and he's done some nice things, but it it is crazy to think about that arguably one of the best defensive catchers and a guy who's had a really good offensive year, as he kind of goes, again, if he's not in the lineup, 29 and 10. If he's in the lineup, 58 and 35, but he's almost hitting 200 points higher in that 93 games that the Braves play, that when when they win, he's having a massive influence on the game. Again, 15 of his home runs have come in victories. Five have come in, in a 158 batting average. It's just kind of weird how one guy can, and I'm not saying that he's the reason why that they've won or they've lost or whatever like that, but there are trends. I mean, right? I mean, we're we're sponsored by, you know, today on the show, you know, um, FanDuel. You know, again, there's betting trends and things like that that you can look at. And again, we have a, a pretty decent sample size about where we're at. But it is kind of strange how Sean Murphy has had an influence either when he's not in the lineup, you feel like the Braves are, are going to almost guaranteed to win. And then when he's in the lineup, if he's producing, the Braves will win. It's just kind of funky the way baseball, and that that's what I love about baseball, is just there are all these kind of funky numbers. And again, you can kind of dismiss it or whatever like that, but again, you know, we're 100 and what, 30-some games into the season now. You know, we do have a decent sample size, and, and we have a pretty good, you know, look at what the numbers are. I mean, again, we know that the Braves' offense is outstanding. We know that the seven, eight, nine hitters have been outstanding. You know that's been a big part of why that they have played so well. And obviously, given Ronnie the numbers, you know, for Olson and Ronnie and Riley and all these guys and and Ozzy, all the numbers because they can turn that lineup over. But it is weird to look at some of the numbers in the splits when you look at Murphy. And again, first half of the year, second half of the year, he's been almost dead consistent as far as his personal numbers go, you know, his first half numbers, um, 
you know, we're, we're, we're really good, but just as far as, um, just as far as just kind of some of his month breakdowns and stuff, but it's just, it's weird when you look at 29 and 10, when he's not in the lineup and 58 and 35, when he's in the lineup, but he's hitting almost 200 points higher in their wins. So if you want to look at betting trends and things like that, and, and, you know, again, if Murphy's not in the lineup, you feel like the Braves are almost guaranteed to win. And if Sean Murphy's producing, you feel like that the Braves are almost guaranteed to win. It's just kind of funny how baseball numbers work themselves out. And again, it's more than just a, you know, a blip on the radar, a game here and a game there, or a five or six game sample size. Like I said, we have now the whole season to see it. Murphy's been a godsend. I mean, he's he's a terrific catcher. I mean, obviously, his offensive numbers aside, he's one of the best defensive catchers in all of Major League Baseball. And we knew that that was going to happen, but we didn't know kind of what the numbers would be offensively. Well, now that he's out of Oakland's stadium, you see that the numbers, you know, he's a potential 25 home run catcher. He's already got 20 homers. And again, if he's hitting 25 homers and 75 RBI at our catcher spot, then you combine that with what Travis Darno has got. We're one of the most productive catching units in all of Major League Baseball. But it is kind of funky and funny how the numbers kind of work themselves out. So if you're looking for betting trends, just keep some of those numbers in mind as we go through things. All right, as we said, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. And listen, as we're getting ready for NFL season, FanDuel has got a great offer for you right now on America's number one sports book. So right now, if you're a new customer to FanDuel, you can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. That's right. $5 bets get you $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet the $5, they're going to get $100 off the NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. So you bet 5 bucks, you get $200 in bonus bets, and you get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket. That's too good to be true, but now is the time to join FanDuel. It's super easy to use. It's an app that's safe, secure, and again, it lets you bet on everything from player props to win totals and everything in between. So head to FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N and kick off the NFL season with an offer you're not going to want to miss. $100 off NFL Sunday ticket. $200 in bonus bets simply by placing a $5 bet if you're a new customer at FanDuel. FanDuel's the official partner of the NFL. So I think that we feel like what our number one positional group strength is for the Atlanta Falcons, right? I mean, I think we all agree that the offensive line is our number one, you know, positional strength group. And again, you might, you can make a case maybe that, you know, the secondary, you know, as the season goes along, that that will be maybe our number two, or maybe it becomes our number one or whatever like that. But going into the season, we feel like that our offensive line is still our most secure group, right? They've done a lot of good things over the last two years, even with some of the challenges, even with some of the injuries that they faced. Jake Matthews has still been really solid. Chris Lindstrom is the best interior offensive lineman in the NFL. And Kayla McGarry has had a really nice year. And again, he, you know, when you put him in the things that he does well, he's outstanding, right? I mean, when he can run block and get his hands on you, he's an outstanding offensive lineman. 
some of the other things, you know, whatever. But we feel good about where we're at with our offensive line, and it's our real strength. And we've been able to run behind those guys for two years now. So what is, for lack of a better term, the worst positional group that we have for the Atlanta Falcons? If I look at what our weakest group is right now, I probably select our linebackers. You know, there's a lot of question marks about what our linebacking group is. So it's Eva Cady, Bud Dupree, D'Angelo Malone, Caden Ellis, Lorenzo Carter, Nate Landman, Trey Davis, Troy Anderson. You know, and, and we've talked about different people in this linebacking group over the course of the last handful of months. You know, obviously... Look, if Ebba Cady can become that fire breather off the edge and he can be a double-digit sack guy, then this linebacking core and, and his perception completely changes. But if we can't find that guy that, you know, again, and because of the defensive style that we play, we can't find that guy that comes off the edge and, you know, is that fire breather, then we're going to have problems and issues and, and, and we're not going to be as good. So, look, Ebba Cady's a guy who is a, is a real wild card in all of this. I don't know what to make of Bud Dupree. You know, it's been very quiet on the Bud Dupree front, just as far as we haven't seen much of him. We haven't really heard a whole lot about him. He's, you know, again, the, the blips and bloops that we've heard about, you know, he's performing well and practicing well and all these good kind of stuff. And, you know, he has said himself, he's invigorated and stuff like that. But does that translate onto the field? You know, does that translate into accumulating sacks and, pressures and everything like that because again we haven't seen it the last couple of years d'angelo malone i mean he's another guy that just you know you, you you don't know what really he is a little bit undersized came in a little bit lighter into camp you know can he be a guy that gets off the edge i don't know i mean you know maybe he is just kind of a specialist that they use you know to try to get after the quarterback and in situations Caden ellis is obviously a wild card as well look he's a guy that certainly has potential and upside and certainly had a really good year last year. And part of that was just because of injuries that he had to play for the saints, but he was really productive. But again, the question is, is he the guy that we saw last year or is he the guy from the first three years of his career where basically he was a special teams player and a backup? You know, again, when guys get a chance to, get in and start and play because of injury that can go one of two ways. Either they're not ready to do all of that, or they take advantage of their opportunity and they thrive in that environment. Hopefully he continues to thrive in this environment. I think that's part of the reason why he's here is just the idea that Ryan Nielsen feels like he's a guy that has still a lot of upside to him. And, and it is interesting. The fact that, to be honest with you, that the saints decided to let, just let him walk away and, didn't offer him a contract or <clears throat> maybe he believes so much in Ryan Nielsen in turning his career around that he didn't want to go any other place than where Ryan Nielsen was. I, I don't know. I don't know what the real story is, you know, to all of that. Only he knows that, but, but it is interesting that look, if he can continue his upward ascent, then we might have something there. You know, Lorenzo Carter is a guy that we were kind of high on coming into last year because he'd done some good things the season before in the you know for the giants and, and was kind of really on the uptick and look he did some good things i'm not saying he had a bad season but i don't know how impactful it was uh, at times for lorenzo carter you know nate landman has had a really good preseason uh good training camp 
Trey Davis, I can't tell you a whole lot, you know, about as far as Tay Davis, I should say, tell you about how much he's really impacted this team. Troy Anderson is also a real wild card because we've talked about the idea of we don't have that high volume tackling guy right now, right? We don't have that guy who we feel like can get you 150 tackles if need be. You know, like the Rashawn Evans or guys that we've had in the past, the Deion Jones and, you know, the uh, Devondre Campbells and people like that and the Foyer Lucans. You know, we don't feel like we have that 150 tackle volume kind of guy. So, again, Troy Anderson is a real wild card. So this is an opportunity for this particular group of players to really have an impact and thrive because I feel like we've got some really good personnel on the front part of our of our defensive line, our, our our guys right at the line of scrimmage. We certainly are very talented in our secondary. But that linebacker group is really kind of questionable as far as they could really swing the pendulum one way or the other. If they if they don't have the seasons that we think that if Caden Ellis and Arnold Ebicady and Bud Dupree and guys like that don't really have very good or impactful seasons, then our defense may really suffer for it. But if those guys can really step their game up and they can feed off of what this back half of the defense is and obviously our line of scrimmage, then we might have something. So because of that, I look at that group as what may be our weakest positional group right now going into the season. There's a lot of potential and a lot of upside on things, but let's see it first, right? Let me let me see what these guys can do. Let's hit the ground running and get that linebacking group because, again, that's our edge people, right? That's our players that, that come off the edge and come around your tackles and stuff that are going to end up having to sack your quarterback. Let's see what that group can do. If that group can thrive, now we could be a special defense. Now we could really be a defense that legitimately is a playoff caliber defense and a group that really gets after it and, and again, can eventually put the quarterback on the ground. All right, as you listen in to Hitting Hard, make sure that you go in and leave us a comment on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on. Let us know that you're an everyday listener to the show. So we do thank you so much for being a part of our community and letting us, you know, be a part of uh, your listening every day. So let us know that you're an everydayer to the program listening in five days a week. All right, a couple of quick thoughts about uh, opening weekend for, for the local teams. I mean, we'll get things started off with Georgia State uh, tonight. So... Again, they play uh, Rhode Island. Uh, look, there's a real chance for Georgia State to get off on a good foot. You know, again, last year playing North Carolina, South Carolina. And over the last few years, they had some tough out-of-conference games that really kind of have kind of stubbed their toe a little bit and not gotten off to the season, you know, that they had, you know, hoped for. But let's also hope that last year was kind of a blip on the radar for Georgia State. Again, they were 0-5 in one-score games last year. And if they could turn just a little bit of that around, you know, they could have been a bowl team. They were 4-8 and eight last year. Certainly, if you find a couple more wins, especially like against Charlotte, you know, where, where that was a shootout. What was it, like 42-41? You know, they lost, you know, that game. I mean, again, there were a couple of things that they left, maybe some potential wins on the table. You know, they returned their starting quarterback. Um, they have, you know, they don't, their, their best wide receiver left to go to Louisville but they still have all of their other guys. There's like five or six guys that are right behind them that were all their leading pass catchers. So offensively, they should be pretty good. I think their offensive line can come together and be pretty good. Granger, their quarterback, again, he led them in rushing last year. Their running attack is still pretty good. And if he can increase his you know, completion percentage just a little bit, 
their offense should be pretty good. It's defensively where they have all the questions, right? I mean, again, this was one of the worst pass defenses in college football. Um, I, the stat that I saw was um, when quarterbacks completed 62.5% or more against Georgia State, they didn't win a game last year. They were 0-6 in games where quarterbacks completed 62.5% or more. When they completed less than that, Georgia State was 4-2. and two. So again, defensively, and they have a new defensive coordinator, defensively, this is a situation where they have to improve their pass defense immensely. Again, it's a college football world where people throw it all over the field, but they have to find a way to improve their pass defense efficiently. So I think Georgia State's got an opportunity to get itself back on track. Let's hope that it's a blip on the radar when all is said and done and they can get themselves in the victory column. You know, starting off, their schedule is not too bad. Their conference schedule is really hard, and they'll play LSU come the end of the season. Again, the second to last game of the regular season is against LSU, but we'll worry about that when we get ourselves down the road. But for now, Georgia State has to pile up some wins and take some opportunities. And again, they weren't good in one-score games last year. Let's see what they can do. Tech and Louisville coming up on Friday night from Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And, you know, in talking to the guy who's the beat writer for, for Georgia Tech now, Chad Bishop, you know, one of the things that really stands out to you is the fact that this team has not been in the top 70, top 70 in yards on offense since 2018. The last time that they were in the top 70 in yards per game on offense was 2018. And, and look, they haven't had a quarterback. This is remarkable. They haven't had a quarterback that has thrown for 2,000 yards since Taylor Bennett in 2007. 2007, the last time they had a quarterback. Now, again, I know the Paul Johnson thing and stuff like that, but if you can't be a modern college offense, you're not going to succeed. Again, you could talk about playing. The teams that can win on defense are Alabama and, and, and Georgia. I mean, that's the two teams that can win. Because, again, they have all the five-star personnel, and they have all the first-team All-Americans. Like, they, they have all the personnel. But you're not going to win with an antiquated offense. And this is not just a shot at Paul Johnson. I mean, look, their offense has not been very good for a long time now. Wasn't the, at the very end of the, you know, tenure of – uh, Chan Gailey through Paul Johnson's, you know, some of his years. And then obviously the, the, um, um, uh, the, the, the head coach, uh, uh, now I forget his name. Um, but again, they've not been a very good offensive team. Now, look, they've got Dominic Blaylock. They got the kid that transferred in from Alabama. He was a four-star wide receiver when he was being recruited. Haynes King, now their quarterback. They have got to get an offensive identity and personnel. They have got to get their offense on track. That's the whole thing. They can't be an offense that averages 16 points a game and think you're going to beat people. You might be able to do that if you're Alabama, Georgia, again, with their defenses, where you only give up 10 points a game. But Georgia Tech is not going to live in a world where they're going to win football games and only give up. Uh, Jeff Collins, by the way, too, was the coach that I'm trying to think of. But again, they're not going to score 16 points a game and think that they're going to win football games. That's not going to be the reality. Now, the strength of their football team is their secondary. And, and this is going to be a good opportunity <clears throat> for Tech because, again, Jeff Brom coming in to Louisville, 
look, there's a lot of questions about Louisville. And when you install an offense and a system in that style, it's going to take a while. There's going to be a learning curve for the personnel of Louisville. So getting them right out of the gate is really a benefit to Georgia Tech because, again, come week seven or eight, their offense will be in a rhythm and get things clicking, okay? But early on, there's going to be a big learning curve. So you're catching Louisville at the right time. And they're not a very good team as it is, but you're catching them at the right time. So, again, Tech needs to find a way. This is an important game for Tech. They need to find a way to get off the schneid, get a victory, because, again, if they're going to get to a bowl game, it's going to be one of these games against Louisville that's the real 50-50 toss-up types of games, and they have to find a way to pull out a victory. Now, uh, Georgia, UT Martin coming up. Okay, again, it's, it's going to be a laugher, but but here's the thing. Georgia's got a lot of injuries at, at running back, and, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that could the tide be turning as far as Georgia's offensive identity? Now, I'm not saying that Georgia is going to drop back and huck it around 50 times a game, but when you look at the strength of their team, Certainly their offensive line is, is a dominant group, but their pass catchers are outstanding. And when I say pass catchers, that doesn't mean just wide receivers. Again, Brock Bowers is one of the top 10 players in all of college football. So their pass catchers are outstanding. And they do have a quarterback that has been in the system for a while. And, and talking with Chip Towers, the beat writer for the AJC about this, look, I, I would not be surprised to see them come out and throw the football around a little bit and, and get more of that identity, especially with all the injuries that they are suffering at running back and all the question marks about, do we have the guys in the stable of running backs? Again, there is no Chubb or Gurley. So, I mean, even at full strength, we don't have a guy that, you know, is, is, you know, looks like he's a 15 or 1600 yard running back. But I wonder if with Mike Bobo, and with Kirby Smarts, and again, the trust that is between those two, I wonder if <clears throat> there won't be an opportunity for Carson Beck to throw it around the field a little bit more and, and use the short passing game to kind of use that as a as a run outlet and then hit some deep passes to the Brock Bowers of the world and, you know, again, Rara Thomases and people like that. I mean, again, and McConkey and, and all the wide receivers that they have on this on this squad. They have a lot of good pass catchers. Now, again, defensively, they're going to be fine. Again, they're, they're, they're the number one team in America. They're going to be 12-0 and 0 coming into the SEC championship game. This won't be a matter of Georgia has a stumbling block. I, I don't care. You, you can tell me Tennessee, South Carolina, they're not going to stub their toe. Florida, they're not going to stub their toe. They're not going to stub their toe along the way. That, 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 that's in the past, and that mythology is, is in, in the you know rearview mirror at this point. But I do wonder if they're offensively with the injuries that they have at running back, if they're going to be a team that's going to throw it around the yard a little bit more. And that's what I'm going to be watching is specifically what does the Georgia offensive identity look like in a game like this? Do they just play it straight, run the football, play the good defense and just get out of there with a victory? Or do they start to open some things up and, and show show people that they can throw the football around the field? Again, they were a 40-point-per-game offense last year. I expect them with all their offensive personnel to be about the same thing. It won't be about beating UT Martin 
It's going to be about what the offensive identity looks like for this football team. All right, we thank you so much for making Hitting Hard your first listen. Be sure to go in and leave us a comment on whatever podcast platform that you listen on that you are an everyday listener to the show. So drop us a note. Let us know that you're an everyday, as we like to call them, listening in five days a week to the program. So we thank you so much for that. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app and give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at jmch316 we'll wrap up the week tomorrow this has been hitting hard with john chuckery locked on sports atlanta 